Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. The last two years have been more stressful for a lot of people out there and in times of stress we often consult someone or we look at what others have been doing before us to get rid of the same issue or problem and if you look at some ancient scripts you might find that mindfulness and things like meditation have been around for 5000 years and of course i'm not going to let you go search through all those scripts but nowadays we have experts who can guide you through that process and today i have got an expert to the show my guest on the show today has been in the education line for over 20 years he is the founder of mindful arts san francisco whose mission is to provide mindfulness instructors to youth at underdeserved san francisco schools he ladies and gentlemen is even an author and he's written books like the puppy mind and he's also received awards like the point of light awards now please welcome andrew jordan nance andrew welcome to the show hi cj thank you for having me It's a pleasure to have you on board. How are you doing today? Good, good. Happy to be with you. Pleasure is all mine, man. So tell me, you've been in the education line for so long, and you could go after so many things. Why go after mindfulness? What's the story? Great, great question. So my background is in theater. I went to New York University in New York City. and had a pretty good career as an actor in San Francisco and also as a <clears throat> as a educator in the performing arts and I in fact ran a theater school for about 20 years so uh I after my mom died I think in 2012 I believe or 13 I just thought you know I need to have another chapter in my life I've had such a great run at the theater but I needed to do something else so I gave them 6 months notice <clears throat> and I I left there and I just started taking classes on what might be next and there was an interesting class at San Francisco State University called the science of well-being and mm-hmm. in it they started talking about mindfulness and I'd never heard of mindfulness um they talked about being in the flow state you know that feeling when you're doing something you love you know maybe it's uh painting or skiing or bicycling or or running or whatever that is for you um and you just feel like you're just nothing else exists except that moment um and i i just started having these light bulb moments about how my theater training and mindfulness training were very very similar uh we started playing games uh in this course that really reminded me of the games that i had learned in acting classes and rehearsals throughout my life and so i thought wow i've been learning mindfulness through my theater training for years. Uh you know, if you've ever hung around a theater person, they are very present, you know. Uh sometimes they have a lot of energy and they sometimes, you know, 
want the spotlight on them, but they are creating this sort of this moment where they are completely there. Maybe they are trying to perform for, you know, their friends or whatever, but they are right there. They're not thinking about the past or the future. And both mindfulness and theater training uh, ask the participant to be in the moment, to connect with your emotions, connect with your mind, connect with your body, connect with everyone around you and your environment in a really present, focused, curious way. Um, the, the difference, though, is on stage, we want to be as reactive as possible. Like if you and I, CJ, were on stage together, we don't want to just have this really mellow scene where nothing really you know, dynamic or dramatic happens, you know, we want to get into a fight, you know, a duel, you know, uh, walk Run out. after each other, yeah, slam the doors. Right. Or something, you know, something, something that the audience can really get behind. But in life, of course, we want our lives to be a little bit more, um, that's a fancy word, but equanimous, you know, a little bit more mm -hmm. even healed. Um, and so we want to cultivate reactivity on stage where, you know, you're just not thinking acting is reacting is the term that many actors have heard their whole uh, lives. Um, but in mindfulness, we want to slow down. We want to take a breath. We want to find that pause and then make a responsive choice. A, a, an opportunity to act or respond wisely rather than react blindly. And uh, it's the simplest thing in the world. It's just not easy. So, so that's how I came to um, this, this world of mindfulness. And I just, you know, it was almost like, uh, you know, I had one coat on and I, and I just was able to put on just a slightly different coat and, uh, and it's really transformed my life in really, uh, you know, unimaginable ways. And you're bringing that transformation to hundreds of people, which I really appreciate. And thank you for that. I like something that you said there. You said that when you're present in the moment, it also puts you in a state of flow. And right. for those of you who don't know, flow is, as, as he mentioned, but flow is also associated with peak performance. When you look at top-level athletes, when you see people who are actually doing the impossible, one of the things that is encoded every day in whatever they do is to get in a flow state. Because flow, like Andrew said, it makes you forget time. It just makes you get right in the zone and you are performing at your peak. So anyone who's listening, this could be a very big clue for you. If you want to get to peak states, then figure out what gets you into the moment and what amplifies those flow states. Now, you're talking about mindfulness, but you know, right. mindfulness has got a lot of attention recently. But when we look at like ancient times and really the monks and the nuns were really the ones who were practicing mindfulness to look at it as an spirit of enlightenment you know people wanted to get enlightenment they would do meditation and mindfulness and often these two words go hand in hand but is there a difference is there a difference between meditation and mindfulness and if so what's the difference i love that question 
because these are great. Um, so meditation, I think, is the act of getting mindful. Um, because what you want to do is you want to try to, or what I want to do is I want to try to meditate at least once a day, maybe for 10 minutes, maybe for a half an hour. And what I'm doing is it's almost like going to the gym for my mind. So I sit still and I might notice, um, oh, I have an itch on my ear or, oh, there's a loud banging noise in the backyard or, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to just stay still and decide whether it's important for me to get up and go outside and see what that banging noise is. Or, you know, is the itch a bug crawling around my, on my face? You know, just take that moment to say, you know what, I can, I can uh, let that itch go and I can let that thought go. Um, I have a story that I'm actually trying to uh, publish right now uh, called Thoughts Are Like Itches. And mm -hmm. I really think that, you know, that's, that's when we're liberated is when we don't go after every thought or believe every thought or um, go af after every itch. Um, we're, we're so at the mercy of our own thoughts and emotions that we don't even, uh, we don't even realize it. You know, we're such emotional creatures. They say that, uh, many people think we're thinking creatures that sometimes feel, but it's really the reverse. We're feeling creatures that, that sometimes think, and we have to be able to notice when we're being hijacked into fight, flight, or freeze, so that we can take that pause and then come back to our more conscious, more rational selves so we can be our most skillful. So I don't know if that answered your question. Yes, but, it does. Love, okay, love that. Okay, because mindfulness too is having a mindful conversation. Um, eating mindfully, uh, walking mindfully, you know, really taking the time to be present with each other, with ourselves, with the environment. Um, and that meditation piece uh, reminds us to, to do that throughout our day. So that, that's, the, that's, those, that's the distinction in my mind. I love how you put it. And um, that's a really good name for a story, though. Um, congratulations Thanks. on that because when I also think about meditation and mindfulness there are so many ways where they intersect and like you said well if you know you have an itch and you go for it and that might spoil your meditation practice if right. you react to the itch definitely it's gonna it's gonna put you in a different state of mind it's going to kind of like get you to move that position you might not hold that alpha brainwave activity that you might be into if you're meditating for some time but then it also teaches you that everything in life and everything, when you look inwards, everything happens in a cycle. And right. just like we have yin and yang, day and night, sun and moon, every, you notice an itch. And if you just sit and observe it for some time, nine times out of 10, that itch will go away mm -hmm. if you do not react to it. And I think when we practice mindfulness, we bring that same kind of wisdom into life. Where life, if you're playing the game of life, then it's not going to be a straight line. It's going to be a roller coaster, and that's fun. But it's it's that cycle that keeps telling you that okay, you know what? Today might be a bad day, or I might be very angry at this point. But if I just observe it 
I will see that it's going to pass away soon. So I love, I love that, uh, I love that thought process, and I'm glad that you're bringing this into, you know, um, I mean, there's already a lot of body of knowledge around mindfulness and things, but we need more people in the world who are kind of like stepping up and taking responsibility and sharing this. So congratulations and thank you for that. We also know that mindfulness has in so many studies is shown to improve the immune system. It's shown to reduce blood pressure. And these are for the folks who are just thinking that Andrew and me are talking about some woo-woo stuff from the ancient scripts and it doesn't have any, you know, like legitimate data on it. But guys, it lowers blood pressure. It is also shown to increase and change the structure of the brain by itself. Now, we could go on and on about this. And there has been so many studies that have been done in adults like it changes the anterior cingulate cortex which you know increases attention it increases prefrontal cortex activity which increases executive function and the list goes on but have there been any studies done in children oh yes many yeah hundreds and hundreds uh all over the world so um one other thing about how it changes the brain is we have this thing called the amygdala which uh, is where my understanding is our fight, flight, or freeze response comes yep. from. And one study that I read said that you actually shrink your amygdala through meditative practices. So your, your uh, ability to be reactive is, is lessened. Um, and your prefrontal cortex, cortex which is where your uh, higher thinking uh, usually comes from, is, uh, gets thicker. So uh, there's some really great benefits to a meditative practice. So, uh, yes, so many, many studies, um, you know, there's no silver bullet out there. You know, I would say there's a great book in the United States that may have made it out here. And there's actually a good podcast called 10% Happier. And mm -hmm. so I would say, uh, I, you know, I would say look for being about 10% happier if you uh, have a uh, consistent meditative practice. So why uh, only 10%? Well, <clears throat> you know, I just think, uh, you know, like maybe that's um, the average, you know, mm -hmm. I think maybe there's a day where you're 70% happier. Uh, but I think on average, we can count on at least 10%. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, and I'm not looking for nirvana, I'm looking for being less reactive. Um, I'm looking for um, my emotions to not get the better of me. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I think often men tend to have a, a, a quicker connection to anger uh, mm -hmm. than, uh, than females, you know, generally speaking. And that has been the case for me. So I really uh, found it so beneficial to be able to notice when anger shows up in my body and I can uh, feel it, you know, on my face, you know, the heat, I can feel my heart beating fast, my shoulders getting uh, high and tense, my fists clenching, my belly clenching. Um, <clears throat> I can't feel my legs or feet, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, and by turning inward, I am able to more easily be skillful when I feel anger show up. And so that's, <clears throat> that's, uh, that's my goal. 
I know, I know when I was younger, I really wanted to kind of, you know, levitate and, you know, and, and sort of have this magical quality, magical uh, abilities, you know, when, when I was in my 20s. But now in my late 50s, I really just want to uh, have more ease and be kinder and be more curious and more focused uh, with myself and with others. Um, uh, and there's a certain magic in that, if, uh, if you know what I mean. Yep. A lot of things came to my mind when you were speaking. First thing about the amygdala. Now, um, this is good for the listeners to know that our bodies at any point of time are sending us huge amounts of data. When I say huge, it's about 11 million bits per minute. And the brain is only able to take about nine bits. So what happens is information gets filtered out and all the things that you don't need gets taken away. And when it gets filtered out, it gets filtered out in the order of operations. The amygdala comes before the prefrontal cortex and is known to be the center of our emotions. Because when you have to, when, you know, let's say today is not that dangerous, but back in the days when you see a tiger or, you know, you fall in an accident or things like that, anything that would hurt you, we are wired so that that information goes through the amygdala first. And they say that the odds would be like nine. You see for every information that you analyze, nine times you will see something like that's going to hurt you out of that information. And only one thing that you see would be positive. So with evolution, we've been designed so that we take in the negative information first, because if that comes first to us, chances are we will survive. And only when it gets filtered out from the amygdala, it goes up to the prefrontal cortex. Now, there is an exception to that rule, which you already said, mindfulness. When you focus your attention on mindfulness and meditation, then you're also decreasing the default mode network activity in the brain, as well as shrinking the amygdala, because now you're, the emotion center, you're just strengthening your prefrontal cortex. And the other thing is, that can do something similar is gratitude. Every time you teach your brain to be grateful about something, you're also shrinking the amygdala and teaching your prefrontal cortex to find a new pattern to see the positive in things. So. Thank you for bringing that up. And yeah. yeah, we're as men, we're mostly very young and, you know, we want to get to that. Um, we want to get to the decision faster and you want to have that alpha personality in us. And it's really nice to take a step back and kind of like have this emotional detachment. Sometimes in the ancient Buddhist practices, they call it anicca, which is like detaching from, you know, your emotions and the way you react to just understand that you aren't really your emotion like you you've made up of a lot of experiences but it's not really you you know you can hold back and i saw some data on unicef like um which said that one in seven children or like adolescents are experiencing some kind of a mental problem and we see that and this data was from 2019 so it's obviously increased a lot after covid has strike globally so that would account to about 175 million people, uh, kids who are dealing with ADHD, things like depression, autism, anger, like crazy emotions, which we really did not have until like 20 years ago. Now, you work obviously with a lot of children. Mm -hmm. How do you think bringing mindfulness or because 
a lot of parents and teachers might be listening to this podcast right now and everyone has used some kind of a meditation app or like mindfulness practice to calm their sense down but i would hardly had a conversation with someone who told me that they are using a mindfulness practice with their kids hmm. so tell me what happens to kids when mindfulness is introduced to them because you've right. seen this first time yeah uh definitely i have we have about 40 volunteers in san francisco that uh use the mindfulness practices that i've created uh or borrowed from uh in a in a book called mindful arts in the classroom and what i found is that kids often feel like it's not okay to have certain emotions and what i tell them you know almost almost right away is that every emotion is okay but every action is not so it's okay to feel angry it's okay to feel sad um and it's but it's just not okay to be mean to yourself to be mean to others um because unfortunately um they do need their amygdalas to fire uh fast mm-hmm. a lot some of the kids that i work with in in san francisco uh have dangers in their lives you know whether it's in their home or in their neighborhoods or in their classrooms and so what's what's an interesting sort of fine line for me to walk is i want you to know how to to turn that amygdala off but i also want you to have that accessibility because sometimes you do need to protect yourself uh from harm uh you know sometimes the bear is not out in the woods the bear is in your home and so we have to be really kind of uh mindful of of that reality um so so what i try to do is just help the kids feel safe in that moment in the classroom when we're, when i'm working with them so that we can have fun we can play um these mindful theater games we might do a mindful poem we might sit we tend to sit for about you know we only like some of the kids i work with are 4 years old or even 3 years old uh and then i work with up to i think 11 year olds um so we start off really with short amounts of meditation so maybe 30 seconds for a 4 year old and then we move up to 3 minutes 4 minutes um and with the 11 year old sometimes as long as 5 minutes which feels like a lot and they're really really proud of themselves so so just doing those simple acts of meditation and the some of the fun things i do with kids um are very simple but um we could do you know like uh this is called breathing ball breath and you put your your fingers together um mm-hmm. you just Let's breathe So is this the know, one that you do with the Hoberman sphere? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's a something called a mini Hoberman sphere that you can buy online uh or just put your fingers together and you create a little ball uh right in front of you and then you just breathe in and you make the ball of your hands look big and then you breathe out and then you make the ball look small. and then you can even separate your hands so the ball becomes you know like a beach ball and then you breathe back in 
when the fingers touch again. And just you, that's a simple thing you can do with um, the kids. And then also what's really sweet, if, if you're a parent out there, you and your kid can create your own breathing ball um, one with one hand. I, you know, I would use my one hand and the kid would use their one hand and we would connect to create a ball together. Um, so that's a nice way to have a little micro... Uh, micro affirmation or connection with your child. Um, I'm reading more and more studies about the importance of micro affirmations and micro connections with our loved ones that we want to just do throughout the day, you know, whether it's a fist bump or, or, you know, a kiss on the cheek or a high five or, you know, just sending, sending, uh, just sending, you know, say, I love you or whatever it is. Um, you know, just con constant kind of connection throughout the day. Maybe it's even a text if you're if you're texting with your kids. Um, you know, we we've, we're talking a lot about microaggressions uh, these days, but but it's it's also an opportunity to look for the micro affirmations as well. So so micro affirmations is what you call them, and it's yeah. um So you can just so everyone who's listening can do this right now, like. Okay, you can fist bump, you can give someone a kiss on their cheek, you can tell someone that you love them. Yeah. And what impact do you think is having, uh, what this thing is having on their brains? Are they like getting more connected? Or are they feeling more safe? Or are they able to kind of like be in peace with themselves because they know that there's love always surrounding them? Am I going in that direction? Yeah. Or is it something else? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I think, I think kids you know we talk about the word trauma and i really think trauma is a lack is sort of that 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 feeling that we're unloved you know and and for many people trauma is this awful moment when you know when something happened but also there's the trauma of never seeing your dad or the trauma of um you know you know uh going to a rough school or the trauma of of not having um, you know enough food to eat. So so there's generalized trauma too that just sort of is insidious and just kind of keeps going and going. So so in so we need to give the kids just these these uh, these tricks or techniques to you know to come back to the moment and go okay well right now in this classroom with this mindfulness teacher, we are safe enough to do this work. We've probably been fed at the school. You know, we have a teacher that we care about. Um, some of my friends are in the classroom. So in this moment, typically, um, life is okay. You know, it may not be perfect, but life is okay. And it may not be okay when we get home tonight or, um, on the on the playground but right now it's okay and we have to we have to uh, try to teach them to know when they're in the when their minds have wandered off to the future or when their minds have wandered off to the past and because um, most of the time you know even when life is terrible for kids and adults there are moments there are a lot of moments where actually our bodies are safe you know, we, we're, we're functioning enough 
to um, be alive, you know? So if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I have also spoken on one of my earlier podcasts with Andrew Fuller, who's been studying child psychology for the last 36 years, and he's done multiple researches and published multiple papers. And one of the most important things that I remember from that conversation is that the more you make your kids feel that they're safe and loved, this is going to be one of the biggest impacts that you can have in their current and in their future life and how they show up as an adult, how confident they are and how they can deal with stress or how resilient they are. So I'm glad that you're giving us practical tips like these fist bumps, which can increase the connection. And I would call this like a hack to accelerate mm -hmm. that process. Now, there are, you also in your work talk about somatics and emotions. And you have like this, like this game, you've, you have some other games as well, like Name the Feeling and the Mindfulness Breathing yeah. Game, uh, which you talk about in your class. Can you give us a quick overview of that somatic activity? Oh, and, um, you know, so <laughs> someone who's listening to can this can take this and try it with their kids. Totally. Um, so there's a couple of ways um, to do this. Often, when a child is upset, we tend to try to get right to the story, right? Tell me what happened. Oh my gosh, Johnny, Johnny took your ball. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let's, you know, let's go talk to Johnny or, uh, which is, you know, something we can, can do eventually. But what I do is if I see a kid in the hall or, um, sometimes I've even done this with friends, I, not very much, but, mm -hmm. but it works really well with kids. So I'll see a kid in the hall and they're probably, they're slumped over and they're, you know, they've got their hands in their uh, head and they're crying or they're angry or whatever. I'll go sit down next to them. I try not to hover over them. You never really want to hover over a child because, you know, you basically look like a giant and I'm 6'3", so I really look like a giant. You <laughs> <laughs> so I, I try to get as small as possible and, and get next to them. And I'll say, oh, it looks like you're having a big feeling. And they'll nod their head. And I'll say, wow, do you, well, do you feel hot or cold? And they'll say, I feel hot. You, you know, if it's anger, let's say. I'll say, I feel hot. Um, and then I'll say, do you feel big or little? And the, they, they might say they feel little. Um, and then uh, just do a body scan with them. And I go, you know, does your fists feel tight? Do you, uh, is your belly clenched? Kind of like what I was saying earlier. And they'll, they'll respond in however way they want. There's really no right or wrong answer. Um, sometimes a kid will be trying to please me as the adult. So I'll have to, I'll, sometimes I'll say, are you sure? And then they'll switch their um, opinion of mm -hmm. what they're feeling in their body uh, because kids are so programmed to want to please adults. So, so what happens is I go through this body scan and I see their body start to change, you know, like their shoulders might've been up and slowly their shoulders will drop down because I'm validating them. I'm not trying to change what they're experiencing. I'm just validating their experience. Um, and then, um, I'll say, do you think you can wiggle your toes? Um, which really gets the prefrontal cortex back online. And so I'll see their little toes wiggle. And then they'll usually um, smile once they see their toes wiggling for whatever reason. Um, 
And then I'll say, okay, do you want to, you want to do breathing ball breath together? Or do you want to, do you want to choose a different way to breathe? Because they know a bunch of different ways, like Spidey, Spider-Man breathing or Wonder Woman breathing or dolphin mm-hmm. breathing. Um, oh, that's cool. So, yeah. So we might do one of those ways to breathe. And then there's a, there's a different kid by the end of it. You know, they're smiling, they're sitting up tall, they're, they're establishing eye contact with me. Um, and what's, what's happened is we've allowed the emotion to be seen, to be felt, to be acknowledged. And it's, it leaves, it basically leaves the body. It's almost like it's its own thing. You know, in, um, in Buddhism, they say anger is arising. They don't say I'm angry. They say anger is arising. So it allows us to have that distance that I think you were talking about earlier, that you can just witness the anger show up in the body or the sadness, the grief, the frustration, whatever the emotion is. And then we can tend to it like that child in the hallway and, and love it enough so it feels like it can go back to sleep um, and not, sh- not want to sort of take over the body. I find that so often um, the body is uncomfortable and wants to expel the uncomfortability. If you, if you think about every, every uncomfortable state that the human body experiences, like a cold, a cough, um, a, uh, a fever, it all wants to get out, right? If we have a cold, we sneeze. If we have a cough, we cough. If we have a fever, we sweat. Um, if we think something's funny, we laugh it out. If we some- think something's angry, we, you know, yell or throw or expel. If we're sick, you know, we might have a bodily function of some mm-hmm. type. <laughs> um, and so what mindfulness asks us to do is be a little counterintuitive here, but turn towards the discomfort of the emotion and say, it's okay. I got you. I see you. I see you in my shoulders. I see you in my belly. I see you in my heart. Um, and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to breathe. And I'm just going to allow you to, you know, sort of say what you have to say. I'm not going to try to get rid of you. And with that, it relaxes and sort of becomes part of you again, rather than this sort of entity that's trying to uh, vie for control, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yes, that does. Um, I like um, how you put it across because this can be a very complicated topic for people to understand but yeah. you've described it in one of the most simple terms that I've ever heard so oh. thanks for that and it just I think people who are listening to this will have a different you know this makes them shift their perspective a bit because yeah. when we're walking through this thing we call life and there are so many emotions that are always arising right and when you break down emotions what are they their energy in motion. That's Some right. kind of a emotion is an energy in motion. And when that emotion is moving throughout your body, like you rightly mentioned, it could get stuck. Well, in when you look at ancient healing systems, like you can see the Ayurveda or traditional Chinese meridian system, they have something called as marma points or meridian points where energy flows through. And most mm. of the times when you're sick, 
there is a problem in one of your meridian channels, so the energy gets stuck. Now, if we're thinking about being afraid or something, or you know, fearful, or we're feeling guilty, you might feel it in your heart, you might feel it in your neck, or you know, and a perfect example is anger. You might feel it in your shoulder, and then you know, people say that you know, it's, your shoulders are so heavy, or you angry, or you stress, things like that, mm-hmm. and. Most of the times, when you do something to allow that energy to flow again, this could be via acupuncture, via putting needles or with a breathwork practice or just massaging that point, or mm-hmm. you can release that energy. But there is another way to do it, like you mentioned, by just noticing it. And this is so counterintuitive, like you said, because most of the time, the most easiest thing to do and the thing nine times out of 10 people would do is to run away from the emotion. You know, you have some kind of uh, anger coming up and you're like, oh no, I'm not angry. And you just walk out. And then at that moment, the anger is actually taking over you. You might not Mm -hmm. show it to the other person, but you're still emotionally feeling that anger. And it's your denial to that anger that keeps, sometimes it even happens as, chronic illness develops in people because they keep suppressing their emotions and they keep hiding away from it. They're like, oh no, I don't feel bad and I don't feel bad. And then you are in a miserable job and suddenly, you know, you have some kind of a serious complicated problem and then you go through some healing and then you realize that, oh, it happened because, you know, I was really upset, but I never came in terms with it. And this is so nice because Even I have met people who are in their 40s and their 50s and still don't know about this critical information. And when we kind of put this information in our children when they're in the most crucial parts of growing up, I think this can be a game changer to how our society would look like 15, 20 years from now, how, you know, how the economy will be like, because now we have kids that are not you know, they're emotionally more strong and resilient than giving up to all these different emotions and making uh, decisions which might not benefit the society or themselves. So it's really great that you're actually bringing these concepts. And instead of, you know, because the adults can hear them and they can like forget. But if you can, if you can put these concepts into the subconscious brains of young kids, it's going to stick forever. That's right. And the more you have access to that subconscious information, it's just easier because, you know, all said and done, we can be talking for hours and people can do so many courses, but really to access the subconscious mind at a later stage in life, it takes a hell lot of work. It'll take many electrodes, many brainwave frequencies, and still the result is not guaranteed. But if you can expose a young kid to this at a, like, you know, at that kind of an age, man, most yeah. of the things is done. I totally agree. And one other thing that I I uh, uh, want to mention is even when a baby is crying, often a parent, a well-meaning parent, will go, "Oh, shh, it's okay, shh, it's okay." And why are we why are we stopping a baby from crying? You know. And what's happening? I'm guessing is the adult is uncomfortable because they see uncomfortability. And what I would do is just either hold the baby um, or, and or say, 
yeah, let it out. Let it out, sweetie. You get to cry. You get to be as sad as you want. There is no reason to be quiet here. You know, just let them have their emotional response because I mean, it's, a, it's, of course, it's a really sweet thing to, to, you know, see a mom or a dad or a auntie say, you know, Shh, it's okay. It's okay. But why, why not just let them be experiencing the emotional state? Because on some level you're teaching a very young human that my being emotional uh, is annoying or needs to stop. Um, so I really think we have to be careful of the shushing babies, um, just because it worries us that maybe something's wrong or that it, it just, you know, makes us feel tight. You know, it's like a baby crying on a plane, you know, it just, I was just about to say that when there's a baby crying on the plane, definitely the parents would get uncomfortable. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like you definitely want to probably I guess you want to quiet them then, but you know, also babies cry and sometimes they're having earaches. And so why, why say, why do that to a kid on a plane when they could actually be in physical pain and you're telling them to be quiet. So, um, and there, there's, there's studies that have said that the, a baby's no, a baby cry is supposed to be, uh, annoying to adults because we're supposed to, uh, help, uh, you know, take care of the, the injured child or the, mm-hmm. the child that's in distress. So it's very natural for us as humans to kind of be agitated by a baby's cry because it keeps that baby safe. So, um, or if you haven't really practiced any kind of mindfulness and then you're just reacting. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's a great opportunity to practice people when you're on a plane and the baby behind you is crying. Just breathe. Every time you're in a plane and the baby is crying, most of the parents are only thinking about one thing. They're just thinking, I hope it's not mine. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And you know what I do when something really annoys me, whether it's a baby or a dog or someone in a car next to me that's, I think, behaving erratically? I'll send them uh, something called Meta, and you just say, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you uh, be at ease. You know, those are some of the things that I might say. And that just helps me kind of get out, get out, of, my, get out of my own way, my mm-hmm. own discomfort, and uh, sort of switch the narrative. Like, uh, let's, let's, be, let's, be, let's not take on that energy of uncomfortability. Mm-hmm. Let's switch it and send them some kindness. One of the other tricks that I've been starting to do, and this has literally become my mantra for uh-huh. 2021, because in the beginning, we all thought that 2021 is going to be a different year, masks are going to go off, things are going to start to be normal, but reality was that it hadn't. And one of these things that we just started between me and my friends as a joke was yeah. that every time we would see a situation and everyday situation was changing you know, all over the world, And we were just like, our reply was, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And this kind of like caught on to me. And it's now become my mantra because every time something hits me, like something unexpected hits me or something goes out of the way, my first obvious emotion is to react to it, right? It's like, oh, I was just in Milan a few days ago and I missed two trains, one after the other. It caused me a three and a half hour delay. And my first reaction was like, why me? But now, every time I have to react, 
I pass it through these words. I just tell myself or anyone who's around me, it mm-hmm. is what it is. And it yeah. kind of, I feel that just like you were saying, wiggling of the toes, or, you know, some people might count like backwards from 10 or from five, that engages the prefrontal cortex. And it will kind of give you this opportunity to take a break and say that, you know what, it's not going to change. It is what it is. So why stress about it? So this has been my mantra. And I've like, whoever I meet, I've been, whenever I see people reacting, I'm like, you know what, I cannot teach you meditation and mindfulness, but I can teach you to accept the fact that it is what it is (laughs) and move on. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that are annoying and terrible about life. and what can we do next that's our most skillful? You know, whether that's, all right, let's figure out when the next train's coming or, you know, whatever. But like having an emotional, you know, or just having your emotions just sort of run the show uh, can feel good for a minute, but you're not going to get any closer to getting on that next train either. (laughs) Exactly. Now, let's move away from kids. LinkedIn did a survey which found that half of the workers in their jobs, they feel stressed and 70% of these workers say that it's because of the workload and the work-life balance. And Gallup came up with another survey which said 23% of their employees often feel burnt out at work. And almost 45% of the people say that it happens almost all the time. Now, we know that last two years have been really stressful and we were kind of like going, talking about this offline for a bit. How do you think we can bring in the magic powers of mindfulness into the workplace? Someone who's listening yeah. to this, maybe they're, you know, stressed out at work, like LinkedIn found out they're, they think that their work-life balance is not there because now they always have to be available for Zoom calls and for meetings. Mm-hmm. How does, do you have any tricks around that? Do you have any hacks around that? Well, uh, yes, of course. Um, First of all, you know, trying to live in the moment rather than sort of go way and or go into the future with all your to do lists is, I think, is a, a better choice, right? Just stay in the moment, work on the project that you have in front of you. And then when that's done to your, to your, uh, whatever, uh, can't think of the word when that job is done move on to the next mm-hmm. uh, i think often we tend to think of all the things we have to do in a day whether it's uh, you know on the in on the weekday or during the weekend um i also think and this is going to seem silly but slow deep breaths throughout your day is a huge way to get the prefrontal cortex back online so you don't get into that fight, flight, or freeze uh, sense of agitation. Um, so, you know, and of course, the Apple Watch tells you to breathe these days. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so I think, you know, setting, setting an alarm, you know, for, you know, every hour to just take a five-minute break to just sort of stretch, maybe go for a walk, maybe have some tea, uh, meditate. Um, you know, it's just simple life hacks. I don't want to add to your to-do list, um, but just mm-hmm. ways that you can be kind to yourself. Um, and, and, you know, and, and this is going to sound flip, but, you know, if this job is really feeling like it's killing you, uh, there are other jobs in the world. Um, so perhaps, you know, 
be strategic in how you can get that job that really feels like it's nourishing you. Maybe that is going back to school, taking a class online or something. Um, you know, you want to you want to be skillful with your next steps. But if you're just in this feedback loop of my life sucks, my life sucks, um, that's not that's not skillful action. So um, if there's a way to move out of that, then I highly recommend doing some skillful steps to do that. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, going out for a walk, taking a break, maybe getting onto some kind of like a Pomodoro break schedule where, you know, you work intensely for 45 to 50 minutes and then you take a five minute break or a 10 minute break and return back. Yeah. Getting, you know, just doing some push ups, getting more oxygen into yeah. the brain so you can focus. These all can really bring you into the present moment and yeah. out of the rut that you're constantly telling yourself that, hey, this is not good and this seems and very look, impossible. Yeah. And also look at your own addictive tendencies. You know, I know many people who are not told to work until 10 o'clock at night, but are doing it anyway. Um, and they'll tell you, well, I just have all this work to do. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, you have to kind of read between the lines as well and, and see how much uh, are there, you know, that, that need to be perfect, uh, et cetera, uh, is, is running the show rather than their, you know, their, that prefrontal cortex we keep talking about. I think a lot of people also get addicted to stress. So what stress is like, it could be physical, it could be mental, it could be emotional. But every time your stress hormones go up in the body, their biological impact onto your cells is to give them more energy. Every time you get stress, you get more energy. When this happens for maybe a few years, what happens is these are the same type of people who are always working and always stressed. Well, yeah. a, part of, a part of their life brings in the stress, but that stress gives them energy and they get addicted to having that sort of energy. And every mm -hmm. time they're not working, that energy goes down and they're like, hey, I need some more stress in my life. Dump the glucocorticoid hormones. Let's, you know, start off the sympathetic nervous system and things like that. And that is where, you know, Andrew, what you mentioned, take some time to breathe. And especially yeah. if you have long, slow breaths and if you can focus on making your exhales twice as long in your inhales, those yeah. in studies have shown to increase the parasympathetic nervous system, shown to increase the vagal tone. All of that will increase, you know, decrease your stress and let you be into the moment. Now, yeah. you know, we, we spoke about, I know we went away from the kids part, but there's something also important that just came into my mind. Now, a lot of people have kind of, understood the benefits of mindfulness we spoke about them before but then after listening to this conversation they want their kids to practice mindfulness right because we've gone yeah. over so many things but then their kids are always using playstations and ipads and i tiktok and things like that mm -hmm. and how does a parent transition or help their kids try mindfulness Right. What I would do is show them that you value it. So maybe, you know, sit down in the living room and just say, you know, I'm just going to close my eyes for like one minute and I'm going to I'm going to do the breathing ball breath and I'm just going to just going to do it. And if you want to join me, you're welcome to. And 
and we can talk about how it felt to sit st still for one whole minute. The other thing you can do is make it a game, like uh, say to your, your child, you know, I bet you cannot stay still for one whole minute um, using your breath to keep you focused. Um, and, you know, like, and, and then if, if you can, maybe we'll go for a bike ride. I don't know, you know, just kind of make it a game with them. Mm -hmm. Maybe put some sort of carrot in front of their, you know, kind of, uh, what's yeah. a metaphorical carrot in front of them. Um, and, you know, just make it fun. And then, you know, like I, like I, I said, you know, I have these, for anyone in the United States, I have breathing cards that I, I made for uh, kids and there's 50 different ways to breathe. So, um, so, but you and your family could come up with ways to breathe. Like uh, there's one called rainbow breathing where you, you put your fingers, your hands to your sides and then you raise your hands up above your head and see if you can touch your fingers, which I am not, uh, mm -hmm. and see if you create a rainbow with your, uh, your hands and your arms and mm -hmm. just breathe in and breathe out. So the kids could come up with, you know, lion breathing or butterfly breathing. There's all sorts of breaths out there, but they could come up with their own uh, techniques. And then you could just do butterfly breathing for, you know, 10 times as a way to calm down. Uh, or to get focused. I, I def definitely want to say that I really do feel like mindfulness is not necessarily about calming down. It's about noticing what's going on in the moment. So we, we don't necessarily want to get to calm. We want to get to skillful. Uh, mm -hmm. skillful. So um, because sometimes being calm is not what's needed, right? You know, we want to take action. Um, uh, we you know, we want to be uh, intentional, but uh, being, you know, relaxed isn't necessarily going to happen on a day where you're super busy. You've got to get to the airport. You've got to drop your kids off. You've got to get the dog to the kennel or whatever it is. Um, there's a lot going on, but we can be focused, uh, attentive, and notice what is going on within the body, whether it's, you know, tension, nerves, excitement, whatever might be coming up on that on any given day so so yeah so that's that's some some ideas i can think of uh do you have any ideas that come to mind for you well it, one of them is what you shared lead by example because mm -hmm. children have this psychology that they're always going to try to do what the adults want to do because they want to compare or not compare themselves but like they want to show that they're kind of like adult and matured and you know they can do this and mm -hmm. they want to be that confident. And once you keep doing this day in and day out, whether it's like closing your eyes for 10 minutes and then they're going to, and if you're the dad, then obviously, you know, kids always, always look up to their fathers and they want to be like their fathers. The father is a Superman in front of their eyes. So they would want to do something that the father has been doing. And when you tell them that it is really good for them and you give them the option, you can try today or you can try tomorrow but I'm going right. to do it in the next 10 minutes. Yeah. And then chances are that they will sit next to you and then you ask them, how did you feel? Did you feel something different? Did you feel yeah. what was like getting that somatic connections, like just addressing what they were feeling? And then you reaffirm by saying, that was such a cool experience, wasn't it? Should we do that yeah. tomorrow again? And now yeah. you can put a certain time dedicated for meditation or mindfulness. And no matter what, 
And if you can follow that schedule, then chances are no matter what's going on, even if they're playing that video game, they're going to be like, now it's meditation time, 6 p.m. meditation time, let's go. And then it's just the habit of just practicing with them and they'll get it. And I think it's very important for kids to understand that they're doing something really cool in a way. Because Mm -hmm. if it's just like, you know, they understand that something is nice and you can talk to them about all these benefits and they're they're not going to understand it. But it's the emotion that that you can like kind of like translate for them and tell them, don't you feel that this is amazing? Like, this Mm -hmm. is so cool. Tell your friends about it. I'm going to tell my colleagues about it, that we did it together. Now we're in this together. We're partners. You know, you can be my sidekick. Yeah. And that will definitely increase their um their practice and their intention to do it all the time and even if you're not with them you can call them or text them like you said and said did you do mm-hmm. your 6 p.m meditation is like yes dad right. i did it and you know right. we just take it from there yeah. and it's well, also a great thing to do before going to bed and that sort of mm-hmm. thing as well so yeah they could meditate and fall asleep you know that's that's fine too i've i've certainly done that many times <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You can you can find different ways to in, integrate this into your life, you know, while sleeping, yeah. while waking up, while after lunch, or, you know, there can just be so many things. So I would definitely encourage everyone who's listening to try your own version of this. And Andrew, we're coming to the end of this podcast. Man, this has been such a great conversation. It's Thanks. time has passed so fast. Yeah. And, um, you know, thank you for sharing all your knowledge and I really admire what you're doing, you know, bringing all this information, like practical information in front of the most difficult, like, you know, with the adults, you can, they, if they have the intention, you can train them. But mm-hmm. sometimes getting to children can be very tricky. And I love that you have pioneered that. Now, if someone wants to check out your work, all the things that you're doing, your books, the breathing cards, where is the best way to find you? Yeah, uh, I've got two websites, uh, www.andrewjordannance.com or Mindful Arts with an S, SF, like San Francisco.org. So that shows you what we're doing in the schools, but also has resources. Uh, there's games on there as well, there's videos. Um, all sorts of things. I also have a YouTube channel that you can uh, subscribe to if you'd like, or just go and watch some of the videos. Uh, yeah, what is that of, called? Uh, that just go to Andrew. I think Andrew Jordan Nance, and you'll find yeah. it on YouTube. Okay, and, we will put that in the show notes for everyone okay. who's listening. Perfect. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I'm just really grateful to be here with you and thankful that you had me on. It's, it's uh, now the pleasure really on mine. I got to learn a lot from you. And especially a lot of um, like parents and teachers, I'm sure they found this show very valuable. Now for my last question. Yes. Let's say hypothetically you had a time machine and you could go back in time. Knowing all that you know right now, whether mm-hmm. it's about you know mindfulness, psychology, brain science, health, how to make pizza, whatever. If you could go back to your younger self and mm. you could give yourself one or maybe two pieces of advice and it could be on anything what would that be wow 
breathe. I really think that's it. Take a breath, slow down. Don't have to make decisions quite so fast. Um, and yeah, your breath is your friend. Your emotions are not your enemy. Um, welcome them and, and life will be more fluid and you'll be able to find that flow more easily. That's what Amazing. I would say, I think. Is there a special breathwork practice that you have? Because there's uh, so many breathworks around. So is there something yeah. that you turn on to like in times of stress? Yeah, you know, something really simple is just raising your toes with every breath, just lifting your toes to the sky. I'm doing that then, right now. Yeah, but you don't, yeah, you're not necessarily lifting your feet. You're just okay. lifting your toes. Just lifting the toes. Just lifting the toes. Um, the other thing is, is that breathing ball breath. You know, I'll, sometimes I'll just be sitting with a friend and I'll just breathe while I'm listening to them. You know, it's called meditative listening. And you just listen to what they have to say. You don't have to think of anything more interesting to say back to them. You can just listen. Um, and they really felt seen. Um, yeah, just, just simple things like that that bring me back to my body that get me out of just sort of this floating head of mine mm -hmm. and, you know, bring you all the way down your toes. So when you're, when you're feeling stressed, you know, just breathe in to your belly and lift your toes at the same time. Okay. Breathe yeah. in through the belly and lift your toes. Love that. Yeah. There you go. Uh, share it with everyone. Now, Perfect. once again, thank you so much for your time and presence thank today. You. I really appreciate all the work you've done and your time. Thank you so thank much for coming on, Andrew. I appreciate it as well. And for everyone who's listening, this is me, CJ, your host, signing out from the Shift with CJ podcast. Everyone, have a great day, a great week, a great month, a great lifetime ahead of you. Bye now. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.